Christian Conspiracy Coalition. Without faith, without belief in something, what are we? You know, the hardest thing is to listen, to hear his voice, God's voice. It's a leap of faith. I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. Welcome to Christian Conspiracy Coalition, a place where the best minds in the conspiracy realm gather to share and discuss their faith, Christianity, and the spiritual war thrust upon humanity. Let us go around the table. First up, we have fellow Aussie, Stella from the Union of the Unknowns podcast. Welcome, Stella. Hi, thanks for having me. Not a problem at all, mate. Next up, we have a man that knows his scripture, Luca from Justified Belief podcast. Welcome, Luca. Thanks, Drew. Appreciate you guys. And next up, finally, we have the truckie that holds more than cargo, the bloke that is hauling faith, Ando from the Burn Babylon Burn podcast. Welcome, Ando. Thanks for having me. Awesome, guys. So today, I've got three little topics for us to cover that I think should flow quite well with each other and and build. So those topics for today's discussion, parasites, parasitic infestation, demonic possession, and vengeance. So let's start off the topic we touched on at the end of the last episode, the food chain and how animals in the Bible described as either clean or unclean. As humanity began to live alongside animals, moving away from the hunter-gatherer society, starting animal husbandry and domestication, naturally humans came into contact with parasites carried by these animals we kept. So is this what the Bible is alluding to with certain animals being described as unclean? Was this a means of mankind avoiding tainted meats? As spelled out in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the Torah, law or teaching, prohibited foods that may not be consumed in any form include all animals and products of animals, including the blood from said animals, that do not chew of the cud and do not have cloven hooves. Pigs, horses, camels, fish without fins and scales, such as shellfish, clams, oysters, shrimp, crabs, and fowl enumerated in the Bible, including vultures, hawks, owls, and herons. All foods outside of these categories may be eaten. So what does this mean for us? Is it just a simple case of avoiding certain food types to protect humanity from these parasites? Or is there something more happening? Who would like to start off? Okay, I think it's really interesting whenever uh, the cure for a lot of demonic possession is is prayer and fasting. Fasting starves parasites. Uh, there's mention in mark of a worm that doesn't die and uh and i think that's interesting as well and then if you go way back to genesis 6 i believe um where a ton of a a ton of things are rooted in genesis 6 it's it's really important uh it talks about the angels mixing not only with the uh with the humans at the time but they were also mixing with animals and um and so that it could be something from that as well. I've wondered about it myself sometimes. Um, personally, I've come to two schools of thought, and I don't necessarily side fully with one or the other. I kind of have a combination or a hybrid theory. Part of it is, yeah, I think some of the uh, animals were genuinely unclean and we weren't supposed to eat them for health reasons. 
Uh, and then another part of me believes that part of it was meant to be a sort of kind of like a quasi punishment because of the Israelites disobedience to God, because the animals that were put on that unclean list, aside from maybe certain shellfish, but like, let's say the cloven hooves, like pigs, for instance, is a big one. I would imagine those are like pretty plentiful livestock, you know what I mean? Or like an easy means of having uh, pork readily available to feed yourself and your family. <laughs> um, but maybe that that was probably one of the reasons I would assume because the thing that I kind of come back to is, uh, and I, I probably miss it because I don't really look into it a lot, is it was declared unclean at first and then later it was declared clean because God wouldn't make anything that's unclean for humans to to eat. And it's not that you eating impure foods makes you impure, but your impure thoughts and things like that. So it, it's 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 kind of interesting. And I actually, until now, you know, I never really dived into it that deep. So that's an interesting take. It's probably like somewhere like a lot of other things. It's probably a gray area somewhere in between a lot of what you guys mm-hmm. have just said that it's probably a, a means of making sure humanity is not tainted by parasites, but there could be something much more nefarious going on. Like your example of pork, Luca. Pork, you said, is it's so readily available. We know they breed in large numbers. Um, they they grow to size quite quickly in comparison to, say, cows and other animals. But there's an interesting thing about pork. Pork is highly susceptible to parasitic infestation via worms, so much so that the the main thing that we'd serve with our pork or on hams at Christmas time would be a piece of pineapple. Now, this isn't just a delicacy that's been added over time for taste means. Pineapple actually has a, a anti-protein enzyme inside of it called um, bro, uh, bromelain, which in itself kills spike proteins, um, proteins in itself, and in effect becomes a anti-parasitic. So at some point in history, we knew to put this on there to help prevent the parasites in consumption of that food. That's actually pretty interesting. I didn't, I never knew that. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. It's it's actually been pineapple's been used as a anti-inflammatory for hundreds of years by different people and an anti-indigestion um, means because it has that anti-protein. You'll know if you've ever eaten pineapple, it feels like your tongue's feeling a bit all fuzzy and acidic. Mm-hmm. It's because it's breaking down the proteins on your tongue itself. So in a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> pineapple's trying to eat you back. <laughs> I wonder too sometimes if you see and I, and and again, like it's actually a good question. I never really gave it too much thought. But um, I wonder if it had a lot to do, too, with the fact that maybe at the time, you know, there there maybe wasn't as many domesticated pigs, but I'm sure there's plentiful like wild boar. And maybe and yeah, I mean, maybe as a means to keep uh, some sort of parasitic or viral infection from hitting the people, you know, until it got to a point where maybe domesticated livestock and specifically pigs uh, were, I guess, a little bit cleaner. Yeah, yeah, so my what's your, dad, your take on this? Oh, sorry, Ando, keep, keep going. Oh, uh, my dad has hunted boar before, and he said that the parasites within uh, the the wild boar are so large that you can see them. Oh, they're monstrous things. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's seen that TikTok going around where they pour coke on top of a piece of ham and <laughs> you see the worms coming out of it. You know, like pretty viral for a while. <laughs> but yeah, we, well, I would I, love to I know think... if that's legitimate. Yeah, so I think that I. one might. I think that one was actually a hoax because if it's, if you're talking about the 
Were you talking about the time lapse one where there's like a bunch of hagfish coming out of it or actual worms? Um, small, little, thin, little wiry oh, white worms. Oh, okay, that one. Yeah. Yeah. It did look quite real, though, didn't it? It did. <laughs> but yeah, you never that know one if... actually might be legit. Yeah. Um, as you yeah. know, the world is a stage and maybe they're throwing some of these things in our faces anyway. What's your take on it, Stella? Um, well, I'm a bit of a – I've got my student pants on with this one, really. But um, – <laughs> Um, I, do, I do remember when I was living in Tasmania, there was certain times of the year that we should not hunt um, or hunt. <laughs> sounds so primitive. Um, we shouldn't gather like wallaby because we lived on wallaby quite a bit. And um, there was, yes, yeah, parasites at certain times of the year. I think it was summer. I can't quite remember now. But, um, yeah, they're pretty much alive with parasites during a certain months. So, I don't know, that's kind of interesting. But, um yeah, I'm just sort of thinking about when when Jesus um, brought the the demons out of that man, uh, Mark five nine, and uh, put them into the herd of swine. So there was some domesticated pigs back then because there was a herd of swine nearby and being looked after by a guy. So um, yeah, it's kind of interesting that. I don't know whether that was just because they happened to be handy <laughs> and nearby <No>. <laughs> or whether there was some significance of the fact that they went into pigs rather than maybe sheep or something else. I don't know. It was just something that came into my mind. Um, Stella, mm-hmm. I've heard that, that the Edomites kept swine because uh, and that they would utilize them by whenever they'd have a war. They would utilize them to eat the uh, the fallen men, and that was one of the reasons why it was not good to eat swine as uh as another yeah oh okay so it's almost it would be almost sort of one step away from cannibalism in that sense that's interesting (laughs) that you bring that up because how often is the taste of human flesh likened to that of pork like the (laughs) cannibals that live in (laughs) Papua New Guinea will say that the closest you can get to human flesh is pork oh not chicken And then that throws into the idea, are we are we close for a reason? And that's why we're not allowed to consume that flesh. Because you look at modern day sorcery of science that there's pigs that are genetically engineered to have human blood types flowing through their veins so that they can harvest blood for blood transfusions. Pigs are being cloned to have human-like organs so that they're ready for transplants. And above um, apes, we can have transplant pig organs into humans much more easy. So... There's, I think there's something deeper going on, and you look actually. I'm sorry, no, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. No, now that no. now that you're bringing that stuff up, you know that that's actually a really, actually a really interesting point, you know. And I never really gave it that much thought, honestly. But now that you're bringing this up, I'm like, oh wait, that actually makes a lot of sense, you know. And then you <laughs> even go back to the folklore of the Greeks with Jason and the Argonauts. They landed on the island of um, Lesbos, and the witches turned half of the men into pigs. And the men ate the pigs. So we're seeing elements of this, not just across Christianity, but in a lot of other um, westernized cultures that pigs and humans have this very interesting connection. And a lot of cultures tend not to eat them for that reason. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, Muslims won't eat pork, will they? Is that no, correct? no. Yep. Yeah, same as, as um, the Jewish faith. I mean, yep. all in all, too, like, if you look at swine now, they really are like uh, filthy animals. The problem with pig meat, and I've actually kind, of, I've actually curbed it a lot. Um, 
their bodies can't metabolize certain uh, chemicals and certain like uh, viral infections. And it actually, they absorb it into their meat. And then their hoofs actually have ducts in them where they excrete chemicals. Like it's, it's, it's actually pretty wild when you read about how their whole metabolism works as far as breaking down foreign substances or things that are not good for them. They tend to store it in the meat and in the fat of their body. And that's why they're so unhealthy to eat. But yeah, I don't know, man, that, that's actually some really good points. And this, I never gave it thought as as far as that to how close like pig blood is to human blood and how their organs are being are being used for, you know, makeshift human organs it's actually uh it's an interesting take <laughs> well, well this is the thing we're seeing we're starting to see more and more connections what will you consider old testament tenets and modern day science like we know that a lot of the viruses and diseases throughout humankind are always linked back to one of the domesticated animals mm-hmm. which is the one that you shouldn't eat or ones that you should steer clear of in old testament but at the same time like you were just talking about luca with pigs not being able to metabolize things and they store it in the fat that actually happens in humans. There's a a little term called keto flu. So if you go onto a ketogenic diet or a diet that's clean and, and you're trying to lose weight often as you're losing weight, as you're burning that fat, your body will have stored a lot of the chemicals and um, nasty things that you've encountered along the way in your life and your body's releasing it because you're burning the fat. So naturally you come down as quite sick when you start a, a clean diet and heavy exercise. Mm-hmm. I wonder then too, see, and then I guess the question comes up is then why, why is it declared? Why are all foods declared clean after? Mm, that's, I've always wondered about that. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's answered biblically because Christ says when the, um, um, I forgot who I can't think of it off the top of my head now. Who was seeing the vision? I want to say it was, it was Saul. It was Peter, I think. Peter, uh, I think. Yeah, Peter. When he wake up, Peter, kill and eat. Yes. Yep. You're blind. correct. Yeah. Yep. When he saw the white sheet coming down and all the animals in it, and that's when all food was declared clean. And the reasoning was because things that man eats doesn't make the body unclean. It's but like you know thoughts, words, and emotions, and how they act. Well, when but I was still... um, sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. That was that was my thought. I'm just I'm just thinking about it a lot now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially I've ever like it's an interesting topic, a conversation. And again, like I just never I never gave it that much thought, but now I'm gonna look into it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit stumped by this too, so that's why I've got my student pants on. But um when I was talking to a lady just recently, um, who has a um deliverance well, did a deliverance ministry for many years. She said something quite interesting. Um, we were talking about how, you know, Jesus came and changed because we're talking about the Old Testament a little bit. And she said, when Jesus' blood dripped to the ground, the world changed. And I thought that was really interesting. It's like that, like literally changed the world. <laughs> so I guess it cha- perhaps, you know, that was one of the changes um, because, you know, he came and cleansed everything. But I have to say as well, I, I, I'm not a big fan of pork at all. I mean, everybody loves bacon. That's a hard one to give up. <laughs> but but um, as far as like pork goes, the last few times I had, gosh, it must be over a decade ago that I actually ate pork um, well over. But I felt I got really turned off because it's interesting what you just said about how they um, absorb everything because I could have sworn that I could taste like a urine 
taste, a urine kind of taste in the pork. And it happened more than once, like over and over. Now, I don't know why that would be, but maybe what you just said possibly explains that because I guess, you know, I'm going to guess they probably weren't like happy free range pigs, like from a supermarket. So, um, you know, who knows what they were absorbing while they're rolling around in all their waste and crap, you know, that's sort of another yeah, reason. Absolutely. Cause I mean, they're so, they're so intelligent too. I, I just feel bad. <laughs> be like eating a dog to me, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it's because I don't know how, uh, how meat processing works down where you guys are, but in the U S it's pretty terrible um, for a little while. And I think they still do it in meat manufacturing. They spray meat with ammonia as a preservative. And, you know, they say like a lot of that and whatever other chemicals they use cooks off when you're cooking it. But I don't really, I don't, I don't really think it does. That could uh, well be what I was tasting then. Yeah. 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 And I think too, that's why like, and not to get too far off topic, but I think that's why like cancer rates are so high in the States is, and you know, people kind of blame it on meat, but I don't think it's meat. I think it's the way meat's processed because, you know, our ancestors were almost strictly meat based for millennia and the cancer rates were nowhere near what they are today. I really think it's just the way the food's processed personally, but yeah. And what's made its way into their own food chain. So what are we getting through the, yeah. the animals today? Well, yeah, and also um, when I was talking to – sorry, Endo. When I was talking to Lenny just recently, um, who runs a homesteading podcast and knows a lot of stuff about food, and she was explaining how, you know, things like mints, commercially brought mints and, and stuff, it's just like it's everything is minced up, including tumours and ugh. So, yeah, that put a little bit of a different light on meat for me. <laughs> I never thought about it. So yeah. enjoy your sandwiches, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the places where you pick up like uh pigs from you know they they bring in the pigs process them and we truck them out of there uh they smell terrible and uh also um recently um news has been coming out about uh about medical waste including masks and plastics ending up in the slop so uh oh. there's there's other reasons. I spent most of my life vegetarian and recently started eating everything. You know, I guess it was a little over a year ago now. Um, and yeah, uh, but it it's weird because knowing all this stuff, all this terrible stuff uh, that's going on in the industry. Uh, I know that, that Drew's uh, talked a lot about the uh, vaccines ending up in chicken. I'm sure they're ending up in pork. Uh, the the pork industry in the United States is completely controlled by the Chinese. And why why would they do anything but try to turn a profit? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. It's um, that's why. I'm... Sorry, Lydia, ahead, it's... no, no, it, you're good. You're good. It's a it's like trying to bridge the connections of what we were talking about. How there's such a big difference between the Old Testament and the New. How it's almost as if in the beginning when God God created the earth and everything upon it, everything was perfect, everything was clean as it should be. And something along the lines tried to corrupt God's creation. So in effect, God told us to avoid certain things as like that that chess move, that eternal chess move with the adversary. God creates something, he tries to corrupt it. So God has his counter move. And then it got to the point where God came upon the earth and as Jesus and through his blood, through his sacrifice, made everything clean again. 
But it's almost like we're back at the state now where humanity is being guided or corrupted by those outside forces again and where through plastics and BPAs and all the types of things that are in, in that is in our food supply, we're corrupting it in our own way, which mm-hmm. lends me to believe that like what Andy alluded to earlier on, that could parasitic infestation not necessarily be demonic in itself, but could it be like the ancient um, antiquity version of a bioweapon? And you place that in the food supply to try and corrupt mankind through that. Is that what we could have been seeing? Is that the adversary's way of corrupting God's creation of his, of his creatures living upon the earth? Well, uh, it, it says that in the end times, it will be like the days of Noah. I think that the, we've been reset. I think Noah probably had similar technology and, and the society was similar to what, what we see now. In fact, uh, there's a lot of things talked about in the uh, apocryphal book of uh, Enoch of things that that seem like closer technology to what we have might not have been exactly the same. They might not have had roads and cars and trucks and, you know, computers and everything like that. But but I think it, it was similarly pr- put progress society before the flood um, and remembering that things are going to be like the days of Noah. Uh, what was happening there was getting rid of the uh, Nephilim influence on the human bloodline. So he chose Noah and Noah's sons out of their, their genetic purity. And so they're trying to cleanse that. And so it'll be just like that. Um, and yeah, that that's what I'm seeing here is that we're, that we're re-experiencing these things and it could have possibly been, you know, what have y'all seen stuff about these, uh, these Hydra things in the, uh, in, in the clot shots. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, so there's two things I've seen. I've seen the ones which look like they're a, uh, bio-organic cell structure that links together like a robot, um, like nanotech. But then I've seen the ones which look like little tiny octopuses, which um, were spoken about by, um, oh, he was a, a, big in education. I can't recall the guy, the gentleman's name. Uh, oh, someone run with this while I try to think of the name. It's going to fest me all show. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Macaulay? Steiner, Rudolf Steiner, oh, Rudolf Steiner right. predicted yeah. that the earth would be taken over by small octopus type creatures that come via injections. And then when <laughs> they look under the microscope, they find these things. So is that demonic infestation in another way? We Who knows? It's, I think they're just using the same playbook, but upping it to what's currently in the world. Well, the, the demons don't have to look like what we've always imagined demons to look like. Demons could look exactly like a, a physical parasite that swims through someone's body. Um, yeah. I mean, they're pretty yeah. terrifying to look at under a microscope. And so, you know, the, the more you, you adjust the Bible to appear literally, uh, the more it starts to, a lot of these things start to make sense whenever you apply them to real life. Mm. And it's also interesting that uh, bromelain, it's bromelain, isn't it? Yes, bromelain the pineapples uh that is part of some of the protocols um for treating people who have had vaccinations mm, um, it's my daily regiment one of those yeah so that's <laughs> interesting because if that is um sort of a parasitic type treatment put two and two together <laughs> now this is completely just my own experiences in it i was taking a regiment and then came across 
the effects that bromelain has. And I added it to my regiment and I took it for a week in the first week and I had the most severe heartburn of my life. And then after that week, it stopped. It's like my body adjusted to it. So purely coincidental and just my own anecdotal story, but that's the effect it had on my body after taking it for the first week. And are you still taking it the same dosage? Yes. Yeah. One a day. You're not, you're not getting hard heartburn now. No. Mm, interesting. This might have been like a detox sort of situation. Who knows? Touch wood, maybe. Hmm. I wonder sometimes because, right, because God created angels and because they're a product of his creation and they're ranked higher than humans, they must have some sort of power to an extent. You know what I mean? So I wonder sometimes if part of that power includes some a little bit of creation power, right? Maybe not to the extent that they can create humans or create, you know, certain certain other types of sentient beings but maybe they do have the ability to create you know parasitic things or uh, other animals or you know things that are unhealthy for us i mean i don't think it would really be outside the realm of possibility considering that you know if they can transfigure and change form and appear to people and visions and you know do all these other supernatural things i i don't see why it would be any crazier to think that the fallen ones and the the ones who become demons and who are doing demonic things can create things that are bad for us or that can, you know, attack us to that level where it it is affecting our health. Because I mean, I mean, if God knows, I mean, well, God does know how we were created and knows us to a molecular level. I mean, the angels and demons must know a certain extent too. I, I would think, you know, so I, I mean that's that's and again like I, I never actually thought of it that way but that's a that's a good good point you guys bring up with you know what if uh, those parasites really are like a demonic creation because one thing I tell people too is um and I was talking to a uh, Drew USA edition and he was uh telling me and, and I won't get too deep into the story just because it's it's probably more his to tell but um he had an encounter with somebody who's uh, claims to see angels and demons and all that sort of jazz who's really into the spiritualism and all that and i have a totally separate view of what that is but um you know one of the things she was saying was she saw like the archangel michael right but biblically aside i mean there is a definite or there is a description of what certain angels look like but they're never really humanoid in their description you know they're always described as something something else like either having multiple wings eyes what have you where and the same thing comes up too with demons like there's no description biblically of what demons look like because demons are just angels who have fallen so you could assume that they would look similar to what regular angels look like this is important because our preconceived notion of what angelic and demonic beings look like is ingrained in us because of culture and because of like Hollywood video. So those things that people see are probably not really angels, but maybe demons. And I bring that up too, because again, those things that we see like paras- parasites in the food, parasites uh, just out and about, or things that are unhealthy for us could could be the product of demonic creation. So I mean, it's really not it, you know. And the more I think about now, like the, the more it's really not real crazy to think about because if demon, if angels and demons can do all these other supernatural things, like why could they not create like maybe small scale life? You know, 
Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off your of of what you just said with an analogy I bring up all the time is that it's like God's the mechanic in the workshop. He knows how to build the cars. He knows how to fix them. Mm. And he had his apprentices, the angels. Some of those apprentices, they decide to leave and start their own workshop. They only have a limited amount of knowledge of what their master or their their master had. So instead of rebuilding a Ferrari from scratch, they might rebuild a Fiat. They can't do it yeah. to the level that yeah. God did. So instead of creating <laughs> all the animals and nature in its glory, they create parasites. They create things that can corrupt things on a much smaller level. Yeah. Right. They don't have the ability to create. They just have the ability to corrupt and pervert God's Yeah, so, so they maybe they took elements of creation and mixed it together to create such a small-scale parasite. Yeah, and um, what Luca was saying about the preconceived notion of what um, things might look like or we perceive things as, usually that's through art, <laughs> um, which yeah. is sort of like ancient propaganda. But um, I don't know whether we, well, it says in Hebrews 13 too, right here, it says, um, remember to welcome strangers in your homes. There were some who did who did that and welcomed angels without knowing it. So I guess from going by that, we're not going to immediately recognize something or somebody or a being as an angel. Mm-hmm. I also think that demons and angels or fallen angels are different. I think demons are more along the lines of a, a disembodied spirit while a fallen angel is an angel that, that chose the opposite side whenever mm-hmm. there was a split. So yeah. no, and, you're, and I you're think correct. That there's even more, more neutral uh, kind of a- angels that didn't really choose a side and are kind of just, you know, doing whatever. So it, it, says, the, well. it, says, well, it says the same for the Nephilim, Ando, that we know that the Nephilim were the giants and they became the god kings on earth for all these different tribes that were pagans. But there was also many, many stories of giants helping certain tribes of humans to defeat other giants. And they weren't necessarily evil they just didn't want to get involved they were very um very fence-sitting uh, type of people they didn't want to choose a side they were just in the, the situation they were in because they were a creation of their fathers and their mothers and i mean yeah the, it was just listening to a show sorry uh no, no, about the the bloodlines of the giants going through royalty and such and this is also where you got the uh the vampire myth because they they ended up um, interbreeding, trying to maintain these bloodlines so much that they uh, that they started getting blood diseases. And so they, they couldn't go out in the sun. Uh, what is it? Hemo. Uh, it's, it's hemo something. I, I, I know that y'all know this, uh, but it's they had to get, you know, taken massive amounts of iron and couldn't go out in the sun uh, because it would burn them, uh, things like that. So that's that's interesting that the vampire myth may have come from that, from, from these elites mixing or not mixing with anybody else, but only mixing within each other. I wonder sometimes like how, you know, how much of like those supernatural creatures we hear about really are just imagination, how much might've actually been legitimate because, you know, it seems crazy to me sometimes that some of these, uh, uh, stories like let's say of vampires in certain cultures were just so made up but people believed it so deeply like they actually had like like there was there was a I can't remember the name but 
if you Google it, you can find it. So like archaeologists were messing around somewhere in like wherever, Transylvania or what have you. I don't know exactly where, but they discovered like a body that had been uh, ritualistically killed in the fashion that was written about, like when they were killing vampires and things like that. You know what I mean? And it's just like, sometimes I just wonder, like, did they really believe in it that much that they would just take somebody who's clearly not a vampire, you know, and then like put a, 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 a iron sickle in between their neck and their body just to bury them that way. You know what I mean? Like it, it's interesting. And then too, when you see all the different uh, cultural um, descriptions of vampires from, you know, different part, different continents all over the world. And they're very similar. And I always like question that because it's just like, you know, if I make up a story about something, you know, oh, I make up whatever the banana monster, I don't know, you know, and I tell Drew about oh, this, this banana monster that, you know, hunts in the jungles from where I'm from. Like, would it make sense for Drew to tell the exact same story or to make up his own? You know what I mean? It's it's like sort of those little things like it, it, it's just real interesting. And it's more interesting, too, that more people are starting to talk about these supernatural events as they're happening, especially like the whole debate now with you know, aliens being aliens or demonic entities or things like that. But more people are starting to talk about supernatural happenings, which is cool because, you know, biblically, um, it says that those things are going to start to take place. Like people are going to start getting more interested in scripture and things of the supernatural and things that we can't necessarily readily perceive with our eyes. So it's good. Well, that's the thing you just mentioned. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. No, you're good. You're good. (laughs) You just mentioned mimetics, basically, uh, what what you were saying there with the banana monster and how uh, how everybody can sort of end up on the the same page Mm -hmm. is it's the same thing as far as, you know, all the memes that we have in the meme templates. And, you know, I tell you a joke, you're going to tell it the same. Or if I like your your banana monster story and think it's (laughs) appealing, then I'm going to share it with many, many more. (laughs) That was a that was a quick quick one. That was good. That was real good. <laughs> it, it goes a bit further. You look at ancient cultures um, within the dream time, and there's even the ancient Phoenicians, where some of their what you would consider mythological creatures or monsters, they literally think themselves into existence. They had their own thought and they created themselves. Well, if I was, say, a fallen angel and I wanted to scare the ever-living hell out of a tribe of little humans that are living in the mud, I would present myself as some kind of fantastical creature um, to scare them. And then at the same time, one of my offsiders, one of my friends, would present themselves as a god to protect them. That's the, the deception that we always need to see. But at the same time, you're right, Luca, we need to have that level of discernment and and gut instinct on could this story be complete bullshit? Is it something that's sure. just been um, amplified through media and um, oral stories throughout history? Or is there a nugget of truth in it? And I think that there's no right or wrong answer in anything we look at in this realm. It's probably always going to be in that gray area. It's going to have elements of everything inside it. Sure. I think too, man, it's just hard for a lot of people because, you know, we're, our education is so um, structured in a way that it doesn't allow creativity or imagination anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think, and I understand why it sounds fantastical to some people, but man, I, I don't know. It just, it, I just, I, per, and this again, this is my personal belief. Like there has to be more beyond the veil, you know, like I just, I personally never believe like this physical reality is all that there is. Like it just never made sense to me, you know, 
you live 60, 80 years, maybe if you're lucky and then you just die and nothing happens. You know, I just, like, I just, I just never, I, I can't, I can't even wrap my mind around that. It sounds so ridiculous to me, you know, but you know, and then there's always the flip side of the coin. Somebody thinks, you know, if, if you're talking about vampires and God and Nephilim, you know, you, you might as well be in, in the, in the nut house. But I think like, if you really look at things objectively and all these stories over different cultures and how they're talking about the same things in a lot of respects, like it just, it's just too, I don't believe in coincidence. So I just, there has to be an element of truth to some of these supernatural stories. You know, it's kind of like with the, it's kind of like with the flood, all these different cultures have a flood story and they're, they're all relatively the same, you know, for the most part. And you take, you, you take that and then you couple it with the fact, well, there has been evidence of like sedimentary rock and seashells on high altitude points that are above sea level. Right. And I think the best explanation, scientific explanation I heard of that is, well, you know, the mountains formed out of seas. Okay. Well, did they shoot straight up in 20 seconds? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> if they're slowly forming out of seawater, well, did, did, did fish and did sedimentary rock just choose to just let them, you know, did they just sit on there as the mountain was going up over it, it the It didn't erode away over time, did it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So... I think it's just hard for some people to just accept that there's something beyond the veil here, you know, and especially too, if you guys haven't, and I, I'm going to, I'm actually myself going to start diving deeper into it. Cause I just found out it was like a topic, a serious uh, debate and investigation. But if you ever look up near death experience stories, like they're now actually being documented and researched as a serious course of science and uh, it's pretty amazing what these people talk about, what they're seeing, like when they're just teetering on the edge of dying, like whether it be like a major operation or some kind of, you know, horrific accident where they're being brought back to life and that sort of thing. But what people describe seeing it is 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 crazy. Like there is one in particular I remember where this woman was having some kind of uh, some kind of medical issue. She they, she needed some life saving surgery, man. So. They're working on her on the operating room. They they works. They bring her back, and she just started talking about how she was seeing herself like as if in a third person form, and she could see the medical staff working on her. She could see around the room, and she actually was able to see like the serial number on top of some medical equipment, and she had memorized it and like told one of the nurses, and it was like it was it was mind blowing, you know. And I think that's part, and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get off onto a tangent here, but I think that's part of the plan too, is for the powers to be to make it seem like this is all we have because it keeps people stuck in the hamster wheel. Like if they believe this is their only life and this is their only, you know, chance at doing something they want to do, they'll, they'll just be, they'll be in the, in the, they will just be in the hamster wheel. You know, they won't look outside of it. They won't be distracted. Exactly. Exactly. You know, they won't let themselves be distracted. They won't let themselves be, I guess, open-minded. They're just going to focus in on what they have to do to achieve that materialism and that material wealth and to just work hard because, well, this is the only life I have to live. And I think the powers to be really abuse that. And that's really kind of what turns us into, into, you know, tax slaves and just, 
you know, working for material things and never really truly uh, finding ourselves on a spiritual level and a deeper level. And I think that's why, you know, again, and I, I personally think that's why uh, Christianity is under attack a lot and why people hate Jesus so much, because like, if you truly believed in a higher power and you believe like we're all divinely created by God, like how could you then stand to see people being used and abused? You know what I mean? Like right now, everybody's just drowning in their own misery that they just kind of turn a blind eye to all the injustices happening in the world. And they, they just let it happen because, you know, it, you know, if you break outside of that, that, that hamster wheel, you stand to lose a lot like material possessions and things like that. And it's just, it's hard for some people. And I think that's part of the, I mean, that's, that's part of how like the enemy keeps it going, you know, it keeps, keeps people just keeping their head down, ignoring all these injustices and just being spoon fed by all these, you know, creature comforts. And we just, you know, we spiritually die. And that's why, like, it's, that's why it's just so important to really like dive into theology and like understand why all these cultures have all these supernatural beliefs and why it's carried over for so long you know i don't think it was just strictly for entertainment i mean there's so many other ways to to entertain rather than just coming up with certain like fanatical stories of you know dangerous creatures that prowl the night and <laughs> you know what i mean so You've, you've touched on a lot of elements there. It's going to help us segue. Yeah, sorry, really, I know. Really good. No, it's perfect because you, you touched on a lot yeah. of elements that help us segue into, into the topic of demonic possession. We kind of hinted on it yeah. um, in the realm of parasitic infestation. But yeah. when you spoke about things such as um, being put in a mental house and being um, spiritually broken, does that open the doorway in to allow something to take over? In Luke 8, 27, it says, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Now, to me, this brings to mind demonic possession because it, does, it doesn't does exist purely just within the flesh of man, I don't believe. I think it can is, is exist within physical locations such as cities and kingdoms. When I read Luke 8.27, I can't help but visualize a large city like a Melbourne or a New York really any major city around the world, right? We, when we go there, we tend to see homeless people. And it's not just people that are d down on their luck and hard times have lost money. Often you see people who are psychologically and mentally troubled that are living on the streets. And sometimes I get this really, really overwhelming feeling that it's not them that's behind the wheel. It's someone else that's there. So much to the point that I avoid eye contact with those particular homeless people. If it was just an average person sitting on the side of the street asking for some money, needing a little bit of help, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with them and help them. But those people that seem psychologically troubled, I get a really weird guttural instinct from those types of people. And that's what I kind of think that we're starting to see demonic possession in our modern day. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I've felt for years that a lot of... Um the conditions that people are sent to a psychiatrist for are actually is possession. And um, I only recently went up to Brisbane. I haven't been to Brisbane all that much, but um, I was actually really shocked at how many, well, yeah, mentally disturbed homeless there were up there. And it's, it's also interesting that, you know, we think of Jesus or we think of heaven as, you know, up there, up. It's just sort of, the stereotype, I guess. I mean, it's out there, but um, 
you know, like all of our distractions, our phones, et cetera, what, what do we do? We're always looking down. And um, a lot of these psychologically disturbed homeless, I, I, I often find them, they're, they're always hunched over. They're always like their faces facing the ground. They're always sort of down. Like you never see a mentally, dis- well, I haven't, a mentally disturbed person walking around with their head up, looking up that much, you know, or, or arms up, you know, looking free. <laughs> they're always looking constricted and crouched over and, yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a physical manifestation that I've that I've noticed anyway. And you're right, Ando. You just pointed out in the, in the chat that ghouls live in, in tombs and cemeteries, and often they are hunched over and presented that way in, in culture and cinema. So we're starting to see these elements across every facet of society. My I noticed that. Uh... Go ahead. No, no, you're good. Go ahead. Drugs tend to hollow people out. You know, mm-hmm. um, it it makes them less connected with their body. I guess their mind is less connected with their body, which allows something to take them over spiritually. I think that, that a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I know a lot of people that smoke weed and do just fine with it, but some people just turn into zombies. And I, I think whenever somebody's asleep at the wheel, then anything else can just jump in and start driving. And I, used to drink a whole lot and i know that i i know those moments whenever i say i blacked out uh something else was definitely driving because i i hear about things that i said or did that are not me and that that's a thing you know whenever whenever you overconsume, you're just i mean they don't call them spirits for nothing Took the words right out of my mouth <laughs> yeah and it may not necessarily always be possession where it's completely taken hold. It could be just influence. It could be manifesting things in you or suggesting that you do things that are outside of your normal personality and normal behavior. You know, it's funny too, because if you, everybody's battled with some sort of addiction. Um, but man, when you are in that place where you're trying to resist temptation for certain addictions, it's almost like you can hear something whispering to like do it you know what i mean <laughs> like it's very it's creepy <laughs> so, yeah there's definitely an internal battle that goes yeah through. oh yeah 100 percent. and and that that's that's always been interesting to me but to go off of like what stella and you guys were talking about as far as like the mentally ill homeless and such i had my own experience where and this was still when i was like little baby christian boy you know Where, like, I really was like, yeah, I don't know. A lot of this stuff sounds very fantastical. You know, I was still like, is, you know, is mental illness really demonic? I mean, it's it's chemical imbalance, what have you. But where I really turned the page on that was, um, I, and I won't die, I won't dive too much into what I do for a living, but one of the things that I do causes me to have to interact with like a lot of strange individuals, right? There's one person in particular who I am absolutely convinced is demonically possessed because he, and I've run into him a few times and it's always been strange, but two times in particular that really convinced me was one time when I ran into him, he was talking in tongues, but he was specifically talking about, uh, different, uh, uh, pagan demonic deities like Molech. He was talking about Molech a whole lot. He was talking in all sorts of tongues. He was talking about how 
uh, you know, he could see these red eyes looking at him and all sorts of craziness. And and I don't mean to be disgusting, but he this is I think this is like actually beyond the scope of mental illness, what he did. He actually one of these days when he was just talking all this sorts of talking in tongues and all this craziness, he actually defecated and and picked it up and ate it. And it and the smell alone, and I'm sure the taste it's like he wasn't even phased. And that that man legitimately is I think is possessed. Like that man needs Jesus. And unfortunately, that second time I wasn't there to witness it. Um, but I heard the story through uh, a couple of buddies who who were interacting with him. And they are not they don't believe in like religion or spiritual or anything. So but, but even they were like, this dude's this dude's possessed. And ever since then, I've been actually trying to find him so I could try, try to help this man. Because when I heard that, I was just like, sweet Jesus. This man needs an exorcism 100%. And it's just, it was just, it's crazy. It's it's just crazy. But ever since then, and I started reading more, I, I really do think it's it's spiritual because I, I, I really don't think pumping people with the pills and, you know, trying to change their brain chemistry helps at all. So it, it's, I find it odd zone. that there's, there's a link between and this is anecdotal on my own observations, there seems mm-hmm. to be a very clear link data-wise between progressive cities, air quotes, and the high numbers of mental illness and, ho- and homelessness. Mm-hmm. Now, is it just because it's of economics and there's more um, chance for job loss and job opportunity in large cities? Or is it purely based around that physical places such as cities and kingdoms of man that, that talks about in, in the Old Testament, they are more subjective to demonic infestation and and contamination by its own geographical issues. When you take a look at what's happening with social Marxism and the so-called progressiveness of the future and socialism, it t- heavily tends towards society breaking down. And I don't think that's just purely a, a means of the elites trying to collapse society. I think there's something deeper going on there spiritually. What we get is the surface level understanding as everyday people walking around that Behind the veil, there's deeper things happening and it affects people down to the street level of the homelessness and and mental illness. Now, well, so for me now where I'm at with my walk with Christ and the things I've been looking at, I agree that it. I think it occurs in those cities more because there's such depravity and they're so far from God. You know, God's influence is just not there anymore. Not that it can't be, it's just they willingly push it away. And, you know, God is not going to force himself on to you. He's not going to be where he's not welcome. And, you know, those entities and that demonic possession and that demonic power just runs amok in those places. I I mean, I I really do believe that. Yeah, and look at the um, Aboriginal areas. Um, I know somebody who moved to a place um, on the east coast here of Australia and um, there's like a valley where there's a very dark feeling. This person, this person's not actually a Christian, um, but he could feel it. Um, and it's apparently something to do with the women, the Aboriginal women. Uh, there's certain places that Aboriginal women aren't allowed to go. Um, so, yeah, he, he used to talk about that. And um, 
just the influence that that place could have over over people. So, yeah, for sure. It's not just people, it's places as well. Um, I remember in Tasmania, actually, when I was doing my Pentecostal church gig, um, went up to, I think it was a fire tower somewhere, and we just, my, my, my friend and I felt that we needed to go up to a high place and pray over the whole of the East Coast because there was some dark areas there. And we took her little girl with us. And I it was so long ago, I can't remember what she said, but um, we finished praying and we were just standing there in silence. And then this little girl, well, she was only like three or four, like a little toddler, only just sort of able to talk. And she came, she came out with something so profound. It just We just burst into tears. It was like, wow, like we, we have done something here. We've shifted. So, something has happened. Um, I wish I could remember what she said, but I do, I do remember the sensation, the feeling. It was, so, yeah, I mean, I encourage people to do that. People forget, you know, they might pray for somebody um, that they know or what have you, um, but you've got to remember to pray for countries and leaders and places. Um, you know, I would even sort of go as far as whenever I go past a, like a Masonic hall or something, I'll just say a little prayer. Um, doesn't hurt. <laughs> so yeah, no. I encourage people to do that. Now, Stel, you're you're a fellow East Coast Aussie. Have you ever heard as Australia referred to as Sodom of the South before? I have not. I'm starting to hear that more and more now, and I think it's in correlation with the amount of left wing states we've got and the social Marxist leaders we've got that are pushing a lot of agendas and the cities just being absolute cesspools. And it just mm. reminded me of that, but. Ando, you said something in the chat about San Francisco, and that's instantly one of the cities I think of, or even a Portland, places yeah, like that yeah, in the States. Yeah, Portland. Uh, it, it's a hotbed for homosexuality, obviously, but uh, I was just wandering around, and there was there was just open open references. You know, you could tell that the place was not primarily Christian. People um, would draw horns onto, uh, onto the advertisements and things like that, and and, you know, uh, I I wanted to say you know that that the you've heard the the scripture about powers and principalities and a principality is a region ruled by a prince and so whenever you're talking about like these demonic pantheons or or angelic uh, fallen ones etc uh, they're running a principality I know for sure uh, one that's that's big in Mexico is uh, is the Santa Muerte, you've probably heard of that before. It's the saint of death, and it's something that the cartels all revere. And even some Christians uh, revere this, or supposed Christians, obviously. So uh, there are principalities. I wish I knew the kingdom map to understand what uh, what's ruling over these regions. And uh, the other thing I mentioned in the chat, um, and it was something that... that I was listening to uh, Tommy Salmons and uh, and he highlighted this because I remember hearing it in scripture, but the highlight of this, that cities were an invention of Cain. And uh, just knowing that that's, you know, the, it's not the, it's the second sin, you know, it's like there was the original sin and then there was the second sin, which was murder. So, um, you know, and he was, he was the father of these cities and, um, and I just think that that's interesting whenever you look at cities as being something of man, uh, but also created out of man's corrupt sin nature. 
Well, that takes us back to even just a, uh, if we move away from religion, the philosophical idea that once humans branch out and leave tribes of more than 250 people, that's when you start to see social degradation. You see murder, you see theft, you see rape, you see all the horrible things that we you now experience in society. So was it that humanity was living in such small little tribes or groups and and scripture tells us people lived a lot longer back then, did they have a need or a, a capacity to have large cities? Well, if Cain was the one who was the, the man who created murder in the hearts of men and was the first to create to do that in, in a spiritual level and a physical level, are cities a physical manifestation of that evil? Well, it's a collective energy, isn't it? I do believe in collective energy <laughs> uh, because, you know, I mean, it says in the Bible where two or three or more, more agree, it shall be done. So to me, that's collective energy. So it works both ways. And just as we know that cities can be a source of good and can be a collective place where good minds and good spirits and good people come together, it can definitely be inverted and, and tainted in a way that we know a lot of things in, in creation have been. Yeah, exactly. All right, I don't know. So... I don't know if I would say the city itself is a manifestation of that corruption as much as like what you said, it's more of the people in that city. You know what I mean? Because if you, if people invite God into their life and, you know, and it's a city of, of, of God fearing men and women and children, you know, I don't think you'll have any of those problems, honestly. So I wouldn't necessarily say the city itself is a symbol of depravity or a symbol of that manifestation as much as it's just people, you know, forgetting God for whatever reason, maybe when, you know, collect, when people get into that larger collective group, something happens and more people are just like, you know, want to act in a depraved fashion. I'm not sure, but I, yeah, I mean, I look, it's a good, it's, that's a good point, but I just, I don't know if the city itself would be the symbolism of, you know, defiance against the Lord. You know what I mean? It's really the people. Yeah, it's 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 same thing as individuals. It could be individual geographic mm -hmm. locations. We know that masons and the like are really heavy on building things on certain ley lines to tap into certain types of energies that they believe yeah. are real. So, mm -hmm. is it that certain cities that are more akin to depravity and these things are built on certain places and designed in a certain way to harness and attract certain people? Who knows? Well, it definitely on anyway. It definitely mm -hmm. has some bearing because, as you said, um, a lot of the temples were built on ley lines and then a lot of the churches are built on the foundations of these temples. Um, so there is some significance. And then you look at the, the obelisks that are all around the world, um, the architecture, the, the layout, for instance, of the Vatican, the Pentagon, the Pentagon um, DC itself. Um, it's, there's definitely some something that they're drawing to like an energy they're drawing in or what have you so i would i tend to sort of think there's a manifestation of energy that they are creating and that will affect the people around it and maybe that draws certain people not sure i think i see ley lines as sort of like power lines and mm -hmm. that some are positive and some are negative and uh and i know that these people know about things they know some hidden they have some hidden knowledge that uh that they're utilizing whenever they're you know for instance the way dc is built to have you know a pentagram and and all of these things and things happening on the 13th or the 33rd step uh just you know there's 
there's always something along those lines. They are always using numbers and, and signs and symbols to, uh, to rule over us because we have, we have ignorance in a lot of these areas um, because they occulted this knowledge. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what occult even means. They hit it and they hit it so that we wouldn't know what they're up to. But, you know, there, there's so many of us, there's so many great people that are all about decoding what they're up to. And there's a lot of us waking up right now, um, spiritually, after waking up in the way of, of, you know, realizing that we're in a depopulation agenda. But what does this mean spiritually? Well, here's a little interesting um, takeaway, Stella, for, for you, if you're not aware of this, to connect back to those ley lines that Ando's talking about, that in Australian Aboriginal folklore, there's a thing called song lines, and they're an energetic field which people track and they tap into it and they get the full history of their people, the dreaming. Um, they can access everything about their collective history from that. And ironically, where missions have been built and churches have been erected, if they're in the way of that song line, that song line has been cut off and destroyed forever. And the, and the local mobs say that they can no longer access those song lines anymore because churches or places of faith and worship have been erected within its line. Mm, very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I am going to look into that a lot more. I've got a book here about Aboriginal belief and culture and even witchcraft, which I am planning to delve into. I'm sure I'll find some stuff there. But um, I do remember looking at um, what was a VHS tape. <laughs> um, that's the first time I heard of, of ley lines a couple of decades ago. And uh, this was a an English gentleman that was talking about it. He was a priest, oh, a yeah, minister. Um, and he particularly talked about where the ley lines intersect and um, they'll often sort of create like a pentagrammy kind of shape. Um, and he, he talked about Milton Keys in England. That's an incredibly dark place and that that's an intersection. So that was just one example. Um, but it's, it's actually very hard. I have tried a few times to find some ley line maps and there are plenty out there, but they all seem to differ. <laughs> so which one is the right one is anybody's guess really. And there's also something about the 33rd degree, but that's probably another show. <laughs> <laughs> so multifaceted, in, it goes everywhere. Yeah, but as in the that's, latitude. That's what this is all about. We've all got our own different perspectives and takes on it. And all we're doing is we're kind of just throwing ideas out there and seeing what we can take away from it, what makes sense, what provokes deeper thought, what provokes research. Um, that's what I really appreciate about about you, Luca, is that you're so well-spoken and very knowledgeable about scripture I can't help but listen to your shows and your appearances on other shows and and go down my own rabbit holes and research things just <laughs> by the, the way that you present it. It's fantastic. Well, I appreciate the kind words, but I um I especially lately I've been feeling personally that that's what that's what God's been calling me towards because I've just been having this like ceaseless motivation to start diving into a lot of these things. And actually that's one of the things I started reading now was, um, I don't know if you guys heard of Eliphaz Levi, Levy, excuse me. He was, uh, he's an occult scientist and that's a lot of where this occult doctrine came from. And, um, specifically, and again, not to get too far off topic, but this whole, I don't know if you, I think Drew, you saw that picture I had posted about, um, like the office reference with the Baphomet image. Yeah. So, the dangerous thing with this new age Christianity and this spiritualism. So a lot, I think a lot of people might disagree with me on this, 
but the parallels from what Eliphas Levy talks about in his books, uh, specifically the ones on uh, like practicing dark magic and the arts, those things show up in new age Christianity and it's, it's just repackaged and relabeled. And the reason it's dangerous is because new age spiritualism and all this spiritualism and these energies and all that sort of talks, they strip the sacrifice that Jesus made away from us and they turn it into literally nothing. And the core doctrine of a lot of those occult and esoteric beliefs is that we're all unaware gods and that's that's our mission is to like figure out that we're gods. And I notice it attracts narcissistic people. And I think it's very not humbling. It's interesting that all the like a couple of people I've recently had interactions with who believe in that stuff. You know, they describe themselves as being uh, free of their ego and extraordinarily humble. But I notice they get very agitated, like when you start to like kind of point some of these things out and also you know, it's not humbling to think that you're a, a god. You know what I mean? And not only is and that's a dangerous doctrine too, because that's gonna lead to all sorts of all sorts of problems and depravities when you think you're your own god, you know? Well, that's the and, idea behind Christ consciousness, isn't it? People think that we're all one yep, consciousness as Christ. Exactly. So essentially we're deifying ourselves as gods, exactly. which is a massive issue in itself. That's um very Gnostic yeah. in its beliefs. Yeah. And I bring that up in one of my podcasts too, when I was talking about the uh, Kabbalah, the tree of life and the Metatron cube and all of that. The problem with that doctrine of you thinking everything is uh, balanced in the universe, for instance, light needs dark, dark needs light is kind of, in my opinion, dangerous doctrine, because if you think that nothing is inherently bad or good, then you can't really be mad when all sorts of injustices happen. And then the other question I and I and I meant to ask this at the first dugout session, but I completely forgot and we started talking about other things. Um like they always that doctrine always talks about like it's dualism, right? That 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 concept of good and evil and needing light and dark and all that, dark needing light, light needing dark, whatever, evil needing good, is called dualism. And they ta- they say, oh, well, the universe is in balance. Okay, but what specifically comes out of balance? You know what I mean? Like, if everything was inherently good and there was no evil, what exactly is out of balance? The universe? Okay, what about the universe specifically? The collective universe? Like, is the universe going to tear in half and we're just going to cease to exist because there's no bad people in the world? You know what I mean? Or vice versa, if everybody was just a raging, cla- like... <laughs> you know, a terrible person. Yeah, it'd be hard living, but the universe, the time space isn't going to tear and we're not going to die, you know, go into a wormhole and just cease to exist. You know what I mean? And the thing with that dualistic doctrine is folks who are into that, they acknowledge this source of light. Like, oh, we got to get back to the source of light. We got to get back to this light source. But they refuse to just label it as God. You know, because, oh, well, there's this greater light. Okay, well, what is this greater light? It It's God, you know, and they just refuse to acknowledge God. Because if there's a God, you can't have your own, you know, view of you being a lesser, you know, a, a, an unaware God. And that was one other question I posed, it, but there was a lot going on that really wasn't answered well, in my opinion, because I had brought that up as 
if you believe you're an unaware God, then where does your authority start and end with somebody else who also believes they're a God? You know what I mean? And then how can you, how can you not justify doing atrocious acts? You know, like, and one example I bring up is let's say Jeffrey Dahmer, he was a notorious serial killer. Like he was a cannibal. If you think nothing is inherently good or bad, then what he was doing was not wrong. It was just in his nature. And then how can you punish him for it? You know what I mean? If you think he's not better than what he's doing, like, why is what he's doing wrong? If it if it needs to exist for, you know, this this quote unquote universal balance, you know, it truly makes no sense to me. Um, it's actually just a way to paint infinity, right? And that's that's where you see the yin and the yang, dark and evil, light just chasing each other. It's just a, some convoluted way, in my opinion, to describe infinity. But at the end of the day, like you you can truly have everything be good and not that like there's nothing wrong with that. Like the world isn't going to end. The world is going to be torn in half. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I think it's just the society is trying to push. Sorry, the society is trying to push the idea that that will happen. You look at some of the most popular um, films in recent time on television shows. Marvel's been producing mm-hmm. a series around there being a multiverse, and if um, say the good guy wins in the multiverse and stops bad guys they shouldn't have stopped in that timeline or cause the universe to fracture and tear apart and they actually show yeah. that happening like they don't want the idea of good to triumph over evil but they replace it with a gray area by having the mm-hmm. anti-heroes take over and anti-heroes are justified in doing evil things because um of their moral compass and that's where it comes sure. into the idea of if you're morally justified are you really committing um, good things or is it bad it's 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 a much deeper question. I think that's what you were alluding to on um, the second dugout sessions that I listened to, which you, ha- I think you hammered them really well and tried to hold their feet over the coals, so to speak, that they, um, the, the opposite side of that conversation couldn't quite articulate or understand, I think, your position where you were coming from. Yeah, and I think it's just the... It's just hard for people to accept that there's something greater than themselves for some people. You know, I accept that, you know, we're, we're created, you know, there is something above me that has authority and rightfully so, because, you know, it's, it's his holiness, you know, it's, it's, it's God, it's Jesus. And I think too, that's why a lot of people who are uh, into that, the occult spiritualism are scared to acknowledge the divinity of Christ and to acknowledge his authority because they're afraid of judgment and that's one thing I had brought up on that second um, dugout session was I think a lot of people's view of Christianity and what it is is skewed because of like cultural movies and because of Hollywood and things of that nature, because very few people. And, and I brought that up, too, when I had asked um, one of the gentlemen on the second dugout to kind of tell me, you know, what is Christianity about? And like he starred for a minute and then he started spinning off into, you know, Paul being like, or King James being a, a a demonologist and Paul being a bad guy and all this crazy stuff. And I didn't, I felt like I didn't really get an answer to my question. But the reason I highlight that is because his view of Christianity has been skewed from movies, from culture, uh, religious institutions that perpetuate like a, a false doctrine um, and just, you know, conjectural things. And it's kind of sad, but it also makes me feel good too because I can see that like there's power in Jesus's name, right? When he blessed his disciples and blessed all his followers, you know, you can cat, you can heal in his name, cast out demons in his name. 
proof to me of the power of his name is just how uncomfortable people get when you bring it up. You know, you can go into a room and talk about Christ and you can feel the tension in the room with some people, you know, and that that's power, like speaking a name and to have that happen. And that's that's power over people and their demons. You know what I mean? So that to me, I mean, I feel like that's just further proof of the the power of Christ's name. man. I mean, it it really makes some people uncomfortable. And especially now, if you look to um, I think it is in China already. Uh, you know, they've already banned Christianity. I mean, it's been banned, but now they're totally rewriting scripture and rewriting the book, you know, and I don't see any, and I could be wrong, but from what I've seen, I don't see any other religion being bastardized to the degree that Christianity is being bastardized to, you know what I mean? And I always ask, well, why is it under, and why is it under attack so much? And it's just like Christ said in the book of Matthew, nothing is more hated than the truth. And people really, really hate Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so Yeah. <clears throat> I just caught up with um, a, a friend that I've known pretty much most of my life. And um, I hadn't seen him for a long time. And we'd spent the evening chatting about different things. And then it got to the end of the evening and we were um, – anyway, long story short, I basically I said to him, um, I told him I'm a Christian now. And um, – Basically, from that point on, the whole dynamic changed. He couldn't look me in the eye. I noticed straight away. He's he. I felt like he just wanted me to go, um, but I stayed <laughs> um, for a little while. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't sort of really. I felt I felt the tension at the time, but then when I looked back, I thought, yeah, that was about the time he stopped being able to look at me. That was really odd. So yeah, it's definitely. Um, oh, he's not a Christian, and and yeah, we had a massive falling out a couple of days after mm-hmm. that. So. Yeah, that was yeah. It's like you you tell people who, especially if you're like myself and you haven't traditionally always been a Christian person, and then you find faith and you find Christ. When you tell them, they look at you like you've got two heads, like you're suddenly not human. You're an alien standing in front of them, and it really <laughs> throws their their conceptual understanding of who you are as a person. And again, Luke, you tapped into some great stuff there. That's going to lead into our next topic of conversation around vengeance. You mentioned. Um, popular culture and society influencing people's understanding of Christianity and forming their moral compass. Two movies come to mind for me, Marvel's The Punisher and Law Abiding Citizen, where vigilantism is promoted and and pushed as something that you can take vengeance upon people who transgress you. And personally, this is something for me that I struggle with within scripture. Um, Is vengeance solely the right of God to enact upon others or does man have the right to do this? Is this something that... God does through people or is it purely left up to God to enact vengeance? I can't help but be the conspiracy theorist um, and liken it a lot to the Q movement. Like the Q movement has trust the plan. Is mm. the right of vengeance a trust the plan type of scenario? Because we know philosophically the, the saying's been happening for thousands of years, all that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And this is the part of Christianity I struggle with all the time. Are we being true Christians and followers of Christ by allowing evil things to happen? Um, and what is defined as vengeance? Where can we go to without step, overstepping the line and going into God's territory? Well, so, go go ahead, Stella. Sorry, no, you go, Luke. No, no, you get no, no. Please go ahead because mine's going to be long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll just quickly interject. Um, so no, this lady, take your time. this lady that I was talking. 
this lady that I was talking to that um, does her deliverance ministry, I actually asked this question on behalf of Drew and um, she thought about it. I really love her answer. She thought about it for a little while and she's going, oh, interesting question. She said, I would probably interject a bit, but more than that, I would pray. And then she said, because God sorts things out a lot better than I do. And I thought that was a really awesome answer. That is a fantastic answer. Yeah. It, honestly. Ando, you got anything? Uh, I was going to say something similar, and uh, this is where the guidance of Holy Spirit comes in. Um, mm. If there's there's a situation where you feel that intervention is necessarily unnecessary, you should you should ask and see if it's right, and uh, and damn the consequences if it's if it's a certain kind of situation. Because I've had I've had experiences in my life recently which helped me identify that it was God speaking to me and through me that there were situations in where I acted upon something without thinking about it like I normally would. Whereas in the past, a lot of people experience bystander syndrome. They just sit and they watch something happening. Mm -hmm. I completely felt like I was outside of my control and felt that I had to do something about it in that given situation. So that's what makes me question whether vengeance is completely off the table if vengeance has to be defined or can God work through people in certain situations? Say, for example, um, you're down the street with your wife, you're walking down the street and a crazed person grabs her purse and punches her to the ground. Are you justified in subduing and attacking that person? Is that counted as vengeance? I don't think it is. And actually, you brought up the point I want to dive into when you said, do we have to define vengeance? To me, to me, what you're describing, right, is a, is a present act, right, is a present action versus vengeance. What vengeance is to me is a future action, right? Like something has happened and now you're seeking this person out to enact your retribution, right? That, that to me is vengeance. And I'm right there with you. Like I've, I've struggled a lot with this, um, in my relationship with Christ because it, I mean, it's hard, but what I have come to realize, right. And I, I think I sent you the passage in Romans vengeance is the Lord's to take because he's a, he's, he is a just avenger and he knows everything. So it rightfully is his to take. So I think we would be wrong if we seek it out after the fact. So like if somebody, you know, came up to use the same example, if somebody came up and took your wife's purse and hurt her and got away before you even were there or noticed, right. Then you saw the guy after and did something. I think you might be wrong for that because vengeance is the lord's take however if it's an action at that present moment i don't think you're wrong because you know biblically the biblical husband protects his wife protects his family you know and i don't see it as being protection if you allow them to be injured nor do i see it as god being upset with you because you did not allow somebody to injure them right then and there the example i bring up too is like a good shepherd right Christ is often seen as, uh, you know, or is the shepherd of his flock, right? Would would a shepherd allow a wolf to come into his flock and ravage it willingly? You know what I mean? And I see it the same thing. You're like the shepherd of your family. Would you allow that 
person to just come and harm your family. And the other example I like to use, because you're right, like it's actionable action at that present moment. I don't think qualifies as vengeance because you're not seeking to give that retribution after the fact, you know, it's like, if you saw, if you saw a kidnapping happen, right. You're there and you're watching somebody get like, take a little girl you're not just going to sit there and pray that that doesn't happen. I mean, you're going to take action and hurt that person. And I, I think you're completely justified. I don't think it's justifiable after the fact when you're seeking to harm somebody after something has happened that that one, and that's a hard pill for me to swallow, but that really, I think is, is the appropriate response is it to avoid something happening is fine but to seek retribution after i th- I think you're wrong for that and that and that's and that's hard for me to say i'm gonna be honest that that is something i've struggled with and i've I've really prayed on because i'm just like oh my god lord yeah. help me <laughs> so i mean vengeance after the fact is called revenge and mm-hmm. you know by definition it says here by definition a desire for vengeance or retribution a desire so that's the difference. Um, like what you say, it's a, it's an action in the present mm-hmm. versus later on reflecting and then wanting revenge. Yeah. So a big difference. And this is a situation, this comes up because I have a good friend who is an atheist, lovely guy, love him, best mate. Mm. But he posed this question to me, would you be justified? And he gave me the situation, which is very um, after the fact, it's not reactionary in the moment type of a deal like we've alluded to your child is molested by someone, you know the person is guilty, are you justified in going out and enacting vengeance upon the person for what they've done to your child who's an innocent? And he was very good, very clever to Mm. label a lot of um, terms in the way that a a Christian would struggle to understand and deal with that Mm. question. And I myself, if I was, God forbid, ever put in that situation, I don't know whether I would have the strength to to leave it to God to enact vengeance or whether I would take that upon myself. I would say no. And that's, that's hard for me to say. I'm just going to be honest with you. Cause I've thought of those exact same scenarios, but I, I think, I think it's wrong. Like, let's say the, the example I bring up. So going with that, right. Let's use the child molester example. The thing I look at is Jesus died for everybody, right? even child molesters. I mean, he didn't omit anybody. Now you go and you kill him. Are you robbing him of his chance of repentance to get right with Christ and be forgiven? And that's what, that's what I look at. I think you are robbing them of their chance to repent if they so choose, you know, God knows what's going to happen. Like if you go and kill them, you kill them. Right. But maybe maybe that person realized what they did and it's absolutely destroying them inside and they come to Christ and they really seek repentance and don't do it anymore. I mean, it's it's an absolute dastardly deed, obviously, to hurt, you know, an innocent child. And you want to go and and you want to go and kill that person. And and it's really hard for me to say this, but like I. Yeah, I think I think you'd be wrong to do that because you're robbing that person of their chance to potentially repent and come to Christ. And because and it's written, you know, God doesn't wish to see anybody um, go to hell or be in that place because biblically and uh, this is and again, not to stray too off top, too far off topic. But biblically, this is where Christianity stands out in the crowd. 
most religions like hell is um works based you know if you didn't do enough or if you sin too much you go to hell right but biblically hell is for people who uh bury their humanity you know they bury they bury it you know because we're all going to hell by default yeah it's because of sin but it's because we're inhumane to each other but those who look upon christ and believe him to be your lord and savior you know you're regaining your humanity because you're acknowledging your you know your depravity and so once you acknowledge christ you know you work to be humane you work to not sin you work to be a better person but people who don't look towards christ they just bury the humanity and they go to hell right so you're depriving that person of finding their humanity again, you know? And again, it's, it's hard for me to say that because I'm, I would, I am of the mindset to go and just skin that person alive and choke them. You know what I mean? Like, I know that's terrible to say as a man of God, but, but that's our, that's our animalistic reaction, right? That's the reaction of the flesh. And I think that's the correct course because you know, during Christ's Sermon on the Mount, right, he set a really high standard for us. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. If you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered him, right? So if you're, see, you know, that vengeance to seek out and kill that person or to harm them, I, I think you're wrong in the sight of God. And it might be hard, and it is, it is, it is a hard pill to swallow. And especially, like I said, because the stuff me and drew do drew a bald eagle edition (laughs) you at made in america that that's a really hard pill for me to swallow but i think that i really i and i i hope it's the holy spirit talking but i really think that's the right answer man to not deprive somebody of their chance to regain their humanity um jason and christopher over at operation red pill brought this up when we went through a breakdown of the batman films which we know batman's the epitome of vigilantism and they put it into perspective that really made me think that it's not just um, you taking vengeance upon someone and potentially killing someone and taking mm-hmm. away their chance for salvation and to be saved, but it's also God protecting you and taking away something from yourself, that you are That's losing your really part of yourself point. as a human if you mm-hmm. do that. And it's perhaps it's God's way of protecting you from yourself in that way. That's a good point. The other, and going off of that too, like self, biblically self-defense is justified. I don't think, you know, to let yourself die. I, I, you know, I don't think that's like, uh, I don't know. I, I just, to, to let yourself be harmed is just, I, I think it is a righteous deed because, you know, Christ said, if you know if he someone strikes you on your cheek turn to him the other it, but that that's that's a hard and i've always battled with that one and that that's a really hard pill to swallow um but if you think about it again like if you if you truly believe in christ and god's righteous judgment and you really think that anybody can be saved then the right thing to do would to be you know to ignore that but it's it's just hard i mean it, it really is but it really is the right way to act when you think about it, you know, because if you truly believe we're all temples for the spirit of God, how can you go then and vandalize his temple? You know, how can you go then and attack somebody to seek vengeance upon God's temple? You know what I mean? 
those are that's one of those things that I've I've really always struggled with and battled with, and I know what the right answer is, but I it's hard to adhere to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it. it yes, yeah, some things are easier tough. said than done for sure. Yeah, and I and I think human. about. <clears throat> I also think about um, like for instance, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, is an example, um, a mother who lost basically all her children to you know a drunk driver. Um, killed, you know, four, four, five children. And yeah, within a few days, it was, it was quite an incredible witness to have on the mainstream media as well. Within a few days, she was saying that she was praying for the guy and she forgave him and much bigger woman than I could ever be, I think. Yeah. God um, bless her. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I can't even imagine being in that situation and especially so quickly. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, it, it's possible. It's possible to do. There are some people who can actually do that. Um, but in a way to, to seek revenge is it's us playing God. So mm-hmm. I guess, you know, Agreed. but again, easier said than done. <laughs> and I brought yeah, up is. in the chat, Gary, um, it's a Gary Plouch is the gentleman that's world famous for a meme now and some live footage from the news that Plashé. happened in America. Plashé. Yes. Sorry. So yeah. for uh, listeners who don't know it, Ando, go for it. Explain what happened. Uh, his son was molested by this guy, and he was getting a, a light sentence, and Gary stood by at a phone booth and blasted the, mm-hmm. the guy was walking by. Yeah, it's a very famous uh, gif. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I understand the human passion where vengeance, uh, especially whenever it comes to someone hurting somebody that you love uh mm-hmm. it it makes so much sense and uh you know uh if i was in the situation that gary was in i you know i think i would have to you know i would have to beg for forgiveness that's just mm-hmm. you know um it, it it's hard you know that you 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 will end up in uh situations where uh there's the right thing to do man's way and then there's God's way, and uh, and it's hard to uh, it's hard to adhere to it. I think it's an important. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Drew. Sorry, I've got a, fr- a good friend who's a uh, prison guard, and mm. I've always had the position that it's a lot cheaper to load a bullet than it is to put someone in prison for pedophiles, <laughs> rapists, and murderers. <laughs> and he's and he says to me, I've got to disagree because it's better off that they suffer in prison for the rest of their natural life. And then you take into consideration if they're not saved, at the end of their life, they are also judged. So they're being judged by man's law and then by God's law afterwards if they don't repent and and find God for for their sins. So I understand both sides, but like you said, Luca, it is a struggle because we do have that side of of passion and love within us for our loved ones. If something happens to them, naturally you want to protect them and and look out for them. Like you, Ando, I, I... I dare say I would probably be in a situation where I'd have to come to terms with that I would be judged by God for my choices about a possible outcome. That's just me at this current point in time. But I, like you said, Luca, I know what the answer is in Scripture, but it's hard to to make that make sense in mm-hmm. your heart as a human being because that's it, so, so powerful, that instinctual feeling. I don't know if it's difficult to make sense well i mean for me it 
the answer I gave makes sense to me. It's just hard to adhere to the answer because we want, you know, we want justification of the flesh. Like, you know, it feels right to go and take that vengeance. One thing like I try to remind myself is like, you know, it's, it's like in a, it's like in Isaiah and I can't, I can't remember which chapter of Isaiah, but I know, I know it's in the book of Isaiah where it explains why the good die young. And it basically says that, you know, they're taken away from evil. They're at rest. Um, We, it's hard to remember because, you know, we're feeling creatures, right? It's hard to remember that this, the grace and the mercy and what waits for us beyond this is so unfathomable it's it's just hard to comprehend right the, the heaven it, it like we have an idea and culturally like we have an idea of what it is but realistically you don't know what it is until you get there because you can't really comprehend that right because it's just so like what what our concept of heaven is 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 not on the same level as god right it, it's just it's it's we're not going to conceive it until we get there but we forget too that there's the flip side of the coin. You know, we're we don't know. Yeah, hell's bad, but we can't truly comprehend all the horrific terrors that await people who go there. And that's one thing I remind myself, and that it kind of helps me with with that situation, right? Let's say like the whole child molester situation. You know, if you don't seek the vengeance and you're right with God, and that person never comes to repentance, what's going to happen to him is far worse 20 fold than what you could ever do to him, you know, and that is right by the Lord. And, and that's why it's his to take, you know what I mean? Cause he is going to inflict such a, a horrendously uncomprehensible punishment on that person, <laughs> you know? So I mean, in that way, I mean, it kind of helps me get through that, but it it's hard, man. It, it is hard. I mean, it is, but I think this is what you get. I am sorry, style. You go. Uh, I just wanted to whip out the uh, scripture that I normally whip out around now, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is, see, I I have a different opinion about heaven and hell. Um, I don't think it's a place that we go to. I think it's, well, again, okay, Luke 17, 20, 21. And I'm reading out of an 1880 Bible here. Mm. Um, Neither shall they say low here or low there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's Jesus' own words. So to me, it's like um, to achieve heaven is by being a good disciple, by not seeking revenge, by praying, by doing all the right things, and then you you have your inner peace that people talk about, which can be heaven. At at the same token, you do all the wrong things, you, you know, against God, that's your internal hell. So um, I, that's where I'm at at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's been spelled out in black and white by by Jesus where where the kingdom of heaven actually is. Um, One thing not, I'll, I'll, not a scripture I'll, that I hear people talk about much. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, you're right. I'm done. Um, one thing I will say with that is the what he in that in that context, because the problem and I, I do the same thing is sometimes we read certain scripture and we narrow it in on what it's saying right in that specific instance but we forget to like look at the totality of it all 
because the whole premise of Christianity is that Christ in his second coming is going to eradicate evil and heaven will be here on earth, right? And he will be our our leader. That scripture we're referring to coincides with, I think, that the law is written on man's heart, right? So we all have the capacity to create heaven here on earth because the will to do good is inside us all, but some of us choose not to, and that's why we condemn ourselves. But I do still think it's a it's an actual physical place um, because of that, because in Revelations, you know, Christ coming back, he is going to bring down the new heaven uh, here on earth and we're, we're all going to dwell in it. But we have the capacity to make heaven here if we all adhere to God's law as it's written on our hearts, because God says that in Romans, the law is written on our hearts, right? Those of us who don't know Christ, but adhere to the law and like, you know, naturally doing the good things is evidence of the law being written on man's hearts. Some of us just choose to be the, you know, depraved animals and to, and to not abide, abide by what is right. And that creates hell. And I think that's what we're seeing too, is like a, a mini version of hell on earth. And it's just starting to unfold more and more because People are not choosing to abide by the law, the moral law that God gave us. Also, too, in in uh, Romans, and it's I think it's uh, Romans chapter twenty eight. Uh, one of my favorite passages is it goes because they they sought not to acknowledge God. God gave them up to all sorts of depravity of the mind, and I think that's really what we're seeing a lot of today is people just you know forgetting god and not having that moral foundation and they're giving themselves up to all sorts of moral depravities and then um the and then i just found it the one i was uh referring to of why the good die young it was isaiah 57 so and if i can i just want to read it real quick because i really like it so it says the righteous and this is from the nasb a uh, nas excuse me 1995 it's uh, the righteous man perishes and no man takes it to heart and devout men are taken away while no one understands for the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds. And I just thought that's a, that was a good one because, you know, I, I, before I, like, I really started diving into scripture. I always wondered, you know, why, why do the, why do the evil seem to live longer and why do the good perish young? And the answer is there when you think about it. And like it says, you know, the good get taken away from evil. And if you really believe in God, you know, dying really isn't a big deal because there's something beyond this life, you know, and it's just hard to remember that sometimes when we're living our lives. And it's, it's oh, also, uh, sorry, and I'll just quickly get this out and I'll, you can jump in, mate. It's, it's really interesting to think about. This is what sets Christianity apart from the rest out of all the cultures and religions and faiths that exist in the world. It's about domination of one over the other. And Christianity is mm-hmm. really about, humanity being saved loving your brother loving your sister even to the point where it says if your enemy is hungry give them food if your enemy is thirsty give them water so people that who for all intensive purposes are out there to destroy you they are still mankind they're your brother and your sister mm-hmm. which lends it open to people that aren't of the faith or don't believe in the word people who are corrupted they can target us quite easily and prey upon us but at the end of the day, we know we're all saved and we know that by small gestures of helping out your enemy when they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're they're on down times that you might change the the sense of their heart and, and open them up to Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's always the positive in Christianity that I think a lot of the mainstream world, the non-religious people skim over. They see Christianity as almost like 
the nice guy on the playground that gives everyone a go, but is easily preyed upon by the bullies and doesn't react. But it's, there's the non-reaction for a reason. And sorry, mm-hmm. Andy, you go. Okay. Uh, I was just thinking whenever you said about how these evil people live so long, happy birthday, George Soros. Um, but, 635. Re- yeah. <laughs> Revelation 96. Uh, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. So uh, if you if you think dying is is so bad, think about continuing to live whenever you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I think too, which is which is that... exactly what they're trying to do, isn't it? They're trying to make themselves mm-hmm. God. They're trying to make themselves immortal. I mean, they've mm-hmm. even got a Project Gilgamesh going on. Well, how many hearts was Rothschild's up to? He was up to like his fourth or fifth heart, wasn't he? By the time he croaked it. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's he was up there for sure. Probably a pig's hut. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. That's, a good, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he has he had the money, so I mean, who? He probably didn't even have to use a pig's heart. He probably just you know hired somebody to kidnap somebody who had the same heart, or a heart that matched his heart or his blood type, whatever you know, and got a real human heart. But is, that's is beside terrible- the point. Is it terrible? That's the reason why I'm not on an organ donor list. So just in case there's some elite out there who has my exact blood type, just doesn't top me one day and take it. Uh, they probably know you you already. So I mean, it's, it's <laughs> more of a yeah, yeah. I think just having it stamped on there is more of a of a feel good thing and virtue signaling because if they if they need you, they're gonna get you. I you just want to make it too easy for them. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they want better. ginger hearts. No, it's probably too much in the film DNA. You know, anyway. <laughs> I think too. What uh, going off of what Ando was saying with the, you know, bad people living a long time, we forget too. Like how some people, it's hard to remember that. You know, let's say that bad person, whatever they do, whatever you know, we don't know what kind of guilt they're feeling because we might, you know, be like, oh, well, why is this person living so long? Whatever. You never know what they're feeling. You know, God knows the the feelings of all men. He searches their hearts. Maybe they're really and and going to what Stella had read. You know, that's part of the hell side of it internally. You know, some people who do bad things might really actually be getting torn up from their guilt, and they just they just don't want to acknowledge it. But think about what that makes them feel inside. You know, they might be they might very well be going through hell, and that's why. And they're gonna keep keep living that way and keep feeling that pain. Uh, you know, until judgment day or until they just, they just die, you know? So it's just, it's interesting things to think about for sure. Absolutely. I'm not sure that many of those elites have been taught to feel, you mm. know what I mean? Like a lot of them come from sure. abusive backgrounds and they've been, it's just the their way of life. That's what, how they've been brought up um, is, well, it seems like they don't have much compassion <laughs> No, they're so disconnected from humanity, they don't even see us as human. So they think about themselves. Mm -hmm. Hard, hard hearts. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is, that's true. I think too, it highlights because, you know, in a lot of some of these books I read about Satanism and all that, one of the goal, and I see it happening on the world stage and like, it's, it's moving in that direction the importance of stripping God away from people and from people believing that there is no higher authority, because if you can, it's like what I was saying a little bit earlier in our conversation, if people start looking at other human beings as nothing more than human shaped animals that like 
oh my God, I mean, that's all sorts of terrible things can happen. I mean, it's, I I think we're really going to start getting a glimpse in it, of it soon because um, one thing, and I, I have to send the video to you when I have a chance, Drew, I just saw some, uh, I don't even know who the woman was speaking, but she was talking about how the World Health Organization is uh, really dangerous and they're starting to try to expand their jurisdictional powers and what they have authority over. One of the things they want to do is they want to try the reason there's such a push for climate change or I'm sorry for um, uh, climate crisis as they, they're boiling. trying. <laughs> yeah. Global boiling. Yeah, so, yep. So the reason they're pushing that narrative so hard and they need people to buy into it is because what the who is trying to do is they're trying to say that environmental problems is a health problem, right? And it's detrimental to our health. And if they could establish that, that will establish environmental uh, uh, environmental rules, laws, and regulations coming under the umbrella of the World Health Organization and give them authority. And that will drastically expand their authority into other countries. And what I thought was interesting was this woman, she brought up the fact that the World Health Organization is trying to, I guess, and I, I'm probably speaking off cuff about this, but from what she was ex- saying, it it registered as this. I guess the World Health Organization like has like a ranking system of living organisms, that type of deal of like what's important and what's not, and humans is like up there. But they're trying to reclassify that that hierarchy as humans being below the importance of just of animals, which I found that interesting because that's a big thing in like a lot of satanic doctrines and a lot of people who practice like Satanism and Luciferianism. And when I say Luciferianism and Satanism, I mean real Luciferian and Satanism. I'm not talking about the satanic church and that's a conversation for another day. But um, those people who practice those types of like high adept Satanism, like blood drinking and ritualistic magics and all that crazy stuff. They already look upon people with contempt and they view people as being nothing more than human shaped animals. And again, and that's why I think there's such a push to remove God out of people's lives. Because if you don't think we come from a divine source and we're just a product of some kind of randomized evolution, we're truly no better, no more important than, than a horse. Or, or the house dog, you know, the household cat or the household pet, you know, we're, we're basically them because if you could prove, and it's been proven, I'm just for the purpose of my explanation, you know, animals are sentient, you know, we're sentient. Why are we any better? Why am I better than a, da- uh, a, a dog? Why am I better than a parrot? I- I'm not. God gives us importance. God elevates us above, you know, just being nothing more than human-shaped animals. It's even the whole new-aged nature worship. Like, we see that coming from these three-letter agencies around the world, that it's heavily around nature, and humans are relative pawn scum compared to a tree in comparison. Mm, exactly. And I think as as Christians, we see, because there's so many denominations and so many schools of thought and ways to interpret Scripture, I think there's a real danger, especially those who are in the conspiracy realm as well, that we see these horrible groups, their plans, we know what they want to do to humanity. I feel that if we react emotionally, like through vengeance, we have the danger of creating, air quotes, 
Christ's kingdom on earth by wiping out and destroying all the evil. But in reality, I think all we're doing is we're creating hell on earth to allow um, the the Antichrist to step forward. And most likely the Antichrist is definitely going to come across as someone that we're all going to love and get behind anyway, because it's it's written as that. Um, you sure. look upon him and everyone falls in love with him, his personality, his, his nature, his demeanor. He's so seductive in the way that he is. So for us as Christians, there's definitely a group in our community that definitely see that we can bring about Christ's kingdom on earth. And I think that's a dangerous place to go into, especially when there's such evil things in the world already. I don't think, I think people are confusing, you know, Christ's kingdom with a man's kingdom wrapped in the physical veneer. Yeah. Mm. Because the problem is, and, and this is why, and this is why I'm so like heavily invested in, in Christianity too, is because it just, it makes sense, especially with what everything that's going on, right? Is because society right now is trying to elevate man's authority to, you know, theological greatness. You know, they're making the government into God. And, you know, if you just believe that we're all, you know, can live that way and then have man, have some, you know, authority figure who is like this who's who's filling the shoes of god but it's a corruptible man i mean that's going to lead to all sorts of genocides and depravities because and it already has i mean i've always bring up the example of hitler because it's the most well known i mean this man was elevated to god status and then he convinced you know people to turn on their friends and neighbors because they were jewish you know what i mean i mean people have to stop idolizing other human beings because of just positions of power that they're in. Like we really are all the same. Like we all, we all bleed. We all die. Nobody's invincible. We're, we're, we're really all humans. Like just because someone has more money or is in a different political position doesn't mean they're better than you. And I, I you know, I, I don't know, man, I guess some people just want to feel like they're close to something bigger than them, but without it being God, you know, I, I don't know. Well, have to break out of this uh hegelian system before we stop seeing saviors pop up you know Mm -hmm. um saviors with finger quotes because they're not real saviors there's only one real savior Mm -hmm. yeah how many people in our community jumped on the the elon train when he took over twitter he was going to be the Mm -hmm. bastion for free speech and now we're starting to see the wechat variation of twitter coming about Mm -hmm. yeah i think two man they uh it's just this is why i think too like it's really going to take a divine hand to get us out of this because i when i was uh when i was on the first dugout session and we were talking about this i think the power has just been so solidified in their favor there's just there's truly no way to get out of it like we we need jesus to come back and fix it we really do because it's just it's just solidified and it's just getting worse day day by day because more and more people are drinking the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? Like nobody, people don't, a lot of people want to just be comforted by their material things. Like they don't want to think about, you know, they don't want to think about, you know, what consequences. They don't want to think about, you know, the kids in Africa mining your battery materials. They don't want to think about how slavery is still real they just want to look at their phones. They want to enjoy themselves. They want that dopamine dump and they don't want to think, they don't want to be self-aware. 
They don't want to think about hard things. They just want to exist and they just want to be taken care of. And they, and that, and that's the problem is, and the go, that's what the government wants. That's what, you know, the antichrist wants. He wants you to just rely on him because he wants to be God. And that I'm sorry. And I didn't mean to cut you off. And, and that feeds into that biblical narrative too, because that was the whole reason Lucifer was cast out of heaven was because he tried to, uh, he tried to be God. He tried to raise his throne above God's. And that's what we're seeing here on earth is a man is going to appear to take control of the helm of that one world government that's being formed because he wants to be God and he couldn't have it in God's kingdom. So he's trying to do it here and he's not going to have it here either, but he knows that. And he's just trying to cause as much damage as he can. Well, he already has authority here Mm -hmm. uh, because because man once had the authority and gave it to Satan in the garden. So, Mm -hmm. And and this whole conversation doesn't mean that we just we sit back and we allow the 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 World Economic Forum, all these elite UN groups, this one world government to just goose step into our towns and do mm-hmm. and what they want. We have means of stopping that. We can put it on our spiritual armor, we can use the good book, we can use mm-hmm. our faith, we can even use man's law to try and block and stop them to a degree that we can. And mm-hmm. if it's reactionary like we've discussed if blue hats came into your house and tried to drag you out of your house, you have all the rights under God's God's law and your moral compass mm-hmm. to defend yourself in your home. Uh, it's not saying that you should go out and be a, um, a unabomber <laughs> and take out the UN building, no, but, but, but that, that's an extreme variation of it, mm-hmm. but you are definitely justified in protecting yourself when these mm-hmm. things inevitably probably will happen. Because like you said, Luca, They've got a lot of things in place. They've set the foundation. Mm-hmm. They're dictating the terms of society and how it's built and how it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. That's where faith is so important and knowing the word and helping your brothers and your sisters and your community mm-hmm. out in what's facing us. Um, I think that's a good place to leave it at this at this point. And I hope to have you all on the show in the future. Let's go around the table and, and see where we can find all your work. Ando, where can we find your your show and your podcast? You can find me in the podcatchers at Burn Babylon Burn. Um, and if you want to find all of my links and stuff, it's libertylinks.io slash the Doom Kitchen. Or you can email me at the Doom Kitchen at protonmail.com. Awesome. Stella, how about you? Uh, I'm involved in a podcast called Union of the Unknowns. We also look at a little bit of the news under the banner of Not Your Mama's News. And I occasionally. <laughs> Um, join Brad Binkley on the Propaganda Report here and there. Awesome. Luca. So um, the I run the Justified Belief podcast. Uh, the best place to listen to it is probably Spotify. It is on a couple other platforms, but Spotify is number one. And uh, I really dive deep into a lot of different uh, theological doctrines and the occult and, you know, government conspiracy and try to show how, you know, it all ties in biblically. And awesome. uh yeah, and thank you again, man, for having me. This is a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking to everybody, so I hope to do it again in the future. Thank Fantastic. you, guys. Fantastic. And for anyone else out there who's not a regular listener of mine, if you're hearing me through Lucas' show or Ando's or Stella's, uh, I'm Drew Misson from Your Missing the Point podcast. Um, general conspiracy, all that type of fun stuff, um, questioning the authority of the world, what's happening. Also have a, a podcast called Conspiracy Theater 3000 where myself, Moral Bob and Ryan Dean break down films for hidden symbolism and an educational podcast called The Homeroom Educating Educators, where my co-host 
Uh, Kaylee and I, we discuss how families can break out of the public system and go into homeschooling. Sorry, Andy. Ando, you want to say something? Oh, yeah. Uh, we also do this thing every Sunday at 8 Eastern. It's usually, you can usually find it on uh, Mike's stream, uh, Mike the Polymath. Um, it's called the WTF Forum. Uh, I don't usually say the the bad word, but we do on the show. So just be pre-warned if you're one of those kind of Christians that doesn't like to hear that. Uh, but yeah, WTF Forum every Sunday, it'll be streamed live on the Easy Peasy YouTube and, and it comes up on my feed in audio form, usually a couple hours after it's it's recorded. And we have this guy, Rob Brisky, and he talks a lot about parasite stuff. So if that was really interesting to you at the beginning of the show, uh, check out some of the stuff that Rob's talked about. He does the Black Labs podcast. Yeah, shout out to Uncle Rob. Good bloke. Um, excellent yeah. panel show, by the way, for people out there. I'm really annoyed that I have to work a Monday to Friday job because I miss out on that panel show so often. So <laughs> the listeners, I will be trying to make my way on there in the next school holidays. For everyone, yeah. have a fantastic day and we will catch you next time. Bless you. Oh, sorry, actually, I've got the main point of this show. We finished the show with a prayer. Luca, can you leave us with a prayer, please? Go for it. Uh, Sure. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for having this gathering here, and I hope that uh, for the people who uh, are lost and are trying to find their way to Christ, uh, find it, and I hope that they hear uh, these things that we talk about, and it resonates with them, and it brings them to that true truth, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus' name. Thank you. Sorry, Jesus. I dropped the ball on that one. See you guys. (laughs) Take it easy. Bye.